You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day, well, actually it is going to happen, but first I want to give you a quote from today's guest of the day because it's a cool quote, and then I'll give you the fact of the day. Here's a quote, and it's one I really like. I'm not asking you to dedicate your life to changing the world. I'm asking you to not launch businesses that sell crap, pillage the environment, and take advantage of developing nations or like Coke, market junk that leads to childhood obesity and other health disasters. That is a powerful quote and actually cooler than the cool fact of the day. But here's today's cool fact of the day because what the heck. Cool fact of the day is that the American Meteorological Society found that happiness is maximized at 57 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 13.9 centigrade for you people who use digital temperature things like that. So irritating, even though I live in a country where they do that and I never know how warm it is. All right, I'm going to relax now. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest of the day, and today's like a today day, is Vishen Lakhani. Uh, Vishen is a good friend, a very well-known speaker on the entrepreneurial mindset and on company culture. 
a well-known entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, technologist working for social good, and CEO of Mind Valley, and the guy behind Awesomeness Fest, which is a biohacking and personal development event for entrepreneurs and creatives and innovators. In fact, I'm speaking at Awesomeness Fest in Greek, or in Greek, on the Greek island of Mykonos later this year. I'm pretty excited about that. Vision's been out here to the Bulletproof Labs. Uh, I'm really happy to call him a friend. And he's a biohacker of change. So Vision, welcome to the show. Happy to talk with you again. Dave, I, I'm so honored to be part of this show. Firstly, I love, I love the setup. I love that freaking swivel, futuristic chair from Jules Verne's books that you're sitting on. <laughs> now, we were just talking before we went live. Uh, you actually have the same chair. You're not sitting in it right now. But the fact that sitting in I'm Malaysia... Oh, you are sitting in it right now? No. I don't have it in my office. In your office. Okay, cool. I don't see wings behind you, but uh, it, it's really kind of funny that we both across the world ended up with exactly the same chair. And I'm telling you, if you haven't taken the trouble to go to the YouTube channel and listen one time, you have to see this chair because it's like, I don't know, Jules Verne meets like, I don't know, Captain Kirk, steampunk. It's just like hammered metal. And it, when I saw this chair, I'm like, I must have that chair because it's the coolest thing for the set ever. So apparently you thought the same thing because biohackers unite, right? It is the single most, one of the single most expensive pieces of furniture I've ever purchased. But I can tell you it is worth every dollar. Nice. I, I found mine at 80% off at a discounted place, so I was actually pretty stoked. Oh, F you. <laughs> it's actually true. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. So, so just, I, I just want to make this, this historic moment known. Vision, who's one of the world's most established meditation teachers, just... Just, just use the, the F word on me about my chair. Just, just Vision just you know, wanted to just honor the moment. <laughs> uh, which is funny because what we're talking about on the show today is your book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, 10 Unconventional Laws to Redefine Your Life and Succeed on Your Own Terms. And in the book, you also use an amazing F-bomb word, and one that I'm happy to repeat on Bulletproof Radio, even though I don't normally do that sort of thing, because you use the term unfuckwithable, <laughs> which is probably the coolest way I've ever heard someone describe that state of, of non-reactivity that comes from advanced meditation. So I, uh, I, I just thought it was funny that you're, you're willing to absolutely just go there. And you, you did it in a book about uh, an extraordinary mind. So I, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> cause problems, right? Because we had to take that off the back cover of the book because otherwise Walmart wouldn't carry it. So the back cover of the book was going to list the, was going to list in a beautiful, beautiful um, piece of art, the 10 laws. So the book talks about 10 laws to get to a state of being extraordinary in living, in life, in happiness, in terms of your mission. We had the 10 laws and law number nine is be unfuckwithable. We had to change the entire back cover because many conservative bookstores would not carry it. Wow. And the thing is, if you add other letters to a word, it's actually not that bad. Because, for instance, the word institution has the word tit right in the middle of it. And they'll allow <laughs> you to put that. I'm like, how is you're, that okay? Right? You're right. I learned that in sixth grade, by the way, and it stuck with me ever since then. Uh, at the time, I was quite titillated by that. But it being, anyway. Um, <laughs> you can tell I don't normally do podcasts at eight o'clock. So I'm just in like a great, I'm drinking decaf late at night sort of mood. But really, I have a good number of New York Times bestselling authors on the show, Vision. And this book, I believe, is absolutely destined to go on the list. It's, it's actually a really good book. And, and there's a lot of personal growth stuff. Like People crank out books like this. 
I could tell when I read it, and I got like a pre-release version that you really put a lot of a lot of heart into it and a lot of personal stories, including some stuff that I would say a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to put in there. Uh, and I, I want to talk more about Mind Valley, and I have some some things I I, I definitely want to cover with you. But one of the stories in the book that stood out to me was was what happened very early in your career when you were working in telesales. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you describe how you basically, I think you tripled your productivity just by changing one thing. Like, like, like walk me through that story the way, the way you say it in the book. So, it's so powerful and it's so non-intuitive. Like it, it's, it's not the Western side of science here, but it was cool that you called it out. So tell me about it. So, so first, a preface to that, right, for your listeners. So one of the things I like about you, Dave, and one of the things why, why in my company people are such bulletproof fans is because you and I both come with a science background. We both started out in Silicon Valley. My training is electrical engineering and computer science from the University of Michigan, one of the top five engineering schools. I worked in Silicon Valley. I worked as a developer. My first job ever was Microsoft. And so I look at things from a logical point of view. If there isn't hardcore science for it, to me, I question it. And this entire book, Code of the Extraordinary Mind, is about questioning everything we've taken on from the world. So we take a science and evolutionary biology approach and get people to question their ideas of spirituality, the ideas of love, of marriage, of religion, of parenting, of schooling, of education, of meaning, of happiness, and so on. And one of the things that I started questioning at a very early age was career. So I I worked really hard as an engineer, got good grades, was one of the top 1% of graduates to make it to Microsoft in 1998. And after 11 weeks at Microsoft, I decided I hated programming. So I quit. I quit cold turkey. I decided to quit, actually, at Bill Gates' home. I was at Bill Gates' home at a barbecue hosted by Gates. And I couldn't shake his hand because I felt like I had, I I, I felt it was so wrong for me to be there. So when I quit, I bounced through life for several years trying to find something that actually gave me fulfillment and meaning. I started a few companies in the Valley. And I failed and failed and failed. And so in 2002, I found myself having lost two startups, having been fired twice. I had no money. I was sleeping on a couch, a couch that I rented from a Berkeley college student. And it wasn't even like a three-seater couch. It was a two-seater couch. So my legs (laughs) dangled off the ends. And the only job I could find, because it was April 2001, the dot-com bubble had just burst, right? Only job I could find was a dialing for dollars job. I was working for a technology company that sold technology to law firms. I had to call up lawyers and pitch them on this tech. If I didn't close a sale, there was no base salary. We had people in the office who were making $0 a month. My mentor who got me into the company was fired because the boss found found out that he couldn't close a sale and he had resorted to living under his desk in the office. (laughs) I at least it was made bad times sale. back then. It I remember bad, that crash. Yeah. You have to make at least one sale a week to be able to eat and survive and pay rent, right? So in desperation, I got on Google to Google for hope. And I can't remember what I put in. Maybe it was how to succeed. Maybe it was how to start a business. Maybe it was why does life suck so bad? I don't remember what I found, but I found a class on meditation. It was happening in L.A., And the teacher was a pharmaceutical sales representative who said that learning these techniques had boosted her sales. So I thought, okay, I could use that. I could use to be a little bit less stressed out and I could boost my sales. So I flew to LA. I was the only person in that class. Meditation just wasn't as hip and cool back then. But I took the techniques I learned. I went back to my job. 
And here's where the story gets weird. Again, I ask you to listen to this with an open mind. Now, back then, we would go to the San Francisco library, check out the yellow pages, and I would have to call every attorney from A to Z in order in my territory, which was San Antonio. Instead, I learned a technique from this class. I went into a deep state of meditation. Now, you and I have studied meditation together, so that's basically the alpha state. They would teach you to consciously go to the alpha state, which is a measurable brainwave frequency. You would go to the alpha state, and what they said is that at the alpha state, intuition is turned on. So I used a technique I learned. I would open up the yellow pages, and rather than call lawyers at random, I would run my finger down the yellow pages, and I would close my eyes, and in that state, get an impulse. Then I'd open my eyes, look at the name my finger was on, and call that name. Weird, right? I don't know what caused the impulse. It almost felt like I was guessing. But here's what I know. In one week, I doubled my sales. It was as if I was magically calling lawyers more likely to buy. So I tried a different technique. I continued learning, reading, going for additional classes, trying to figure out what the fuck was going on in my head. How did I gain these abilities? Now, the next technique I learned was a simple technique on intention and empathy. Before calling an attorney, I would set an intention that the sale would go well only if it was in the best interest of everyone concerned. And then I would use a visualization and connect my heart to the attorney's heart and imagine a friendly conversation that I was receptive to their needs, that I was empathetic to them. All hokey stuff, right? And once again, I doubled my sales. Long story short, in four months, I got, in four months, I got promoted three times. The company was a startup. When I joined, it was like 20 people. By the time I left, it was over 100. So they were promoting very heavily. I got promoted four times in um, three times in four months. They made me director of sales, sent me out to New York where I headed and opened up the company's New York office. I was 26 years old. I'd only been in sales for nine months and I now led the company's entire New York division. And all of it came from these abilities that I was unlocking. But it gets better, Dave. And I want to stress this. As I started unlocking these abilities, not only could I be one of the top salespeople, but I got bored because I could pull off so much more sales in less time. What did I do with my other four hours? So I asked my job, my, my boss, to give me an additional job. He needed a business development manager because Google AdWords had just launched. And AdWords was a new system. Back then, you had to put down half a million dollars to get on the AdWords system. And our company didn't have that money. So my boss had been haggling with Google. Google was a smaller company back then to try to give us a break so we could get on AdWords. I told my boss, let me try. So he said, yeah, fine. Okay, well, you don't have the negotiation skills I have. My boss was a Berkeley trained attorney. But I said, let me try. And I got on again and I did those same techniques. I got Google to go down from 500K to 100K. And I told my boss, and he was like, holy shit, that's amazing, 100K, we can afford that. But vision, look, if you can get them down to 100K, can you get them down lower? <laughs> so New Yorkers, I said, sure. I, tell you. I got them down to 60K. Whoa. And our company, from 500 to 60K, our company could, could advertise on Google. They made me business development manager, and I was leading their New York office. I was doing two jobs at once. My boss was so impressed, he asked me, but how are you doing this? How do you do this? And I said, look, I don't know what's going on, but I think in science they call it ESP. And he goes, ESP, that's bullshit. But whatever you do, keep doing it. So I stayed with that company uh, for for another 18 months. And after a while, you know, I just felt like I needed to move on. And I wanted to start something that mattered. I wanted to start something that could make a contribution to the world. My quote that you quoted in the book actually ends with this line. If you buy the audiobook version, it ends with this line. I'm not asking you to save the world. 
all I'm saying is don't fuck it up for the next generation. And so I decided that whatever I start as a company must be something that isn't going to fuck up the world. It's not going to be something that is going to be producing waste plastic or destroying the environment or teaching outdated models of learning. I wanted something that could make a dent on this planet in a positive way. And I thought, well, meditation is what helped me. Let's start a meditation company. And that's how Mind Valley was born in, 2000, uh, in 2003, 2004. That's a heck of a story. And so here you are. You're a computer science guy like me. I realized I wouldn't want, I wouldn't be happy programming for a living after four years of studying computer science. So I changed my major <laughs> when I was like near graduation. Like, I can't do this for a living. I'd, I'd rather dig ditches. Um, programming is, is complex, but I, I just couldn't see doing that for like the rest of my career. Technology I love, but coding I didn't. And uh, so we're, we're both pretty darn science-based, but part of the scientific method is observation, right? Like you observe what's happening. In your case, you, you tried something that isn't supposed to work, and, and we have similar stories that way. Uh, and you're like, okay, I don't know for sure what's going on, but something is going on here and and one interpretation is is look you just had a string of luck it was entirely random right what do you say when someone says that to you well i put it this way right so in my book i teach people a codified form of learning and human development i call it consciousness engineering and if you want to upgrade your computer or say your smartphone which is essentially a computer all you do is you upgrade the hardware. So you might go from the iPhone 5 to the iPhone 6, or you download new apps. You download new apps to give your phone new abilities. Now, in the human consciousness, think of, think of your hardware as your beliefs. Your beliefs are installed in you. That's why I compare it to hardware, because hardware is something you install in a computer. Now, the thing is, most of your beliefs that were installed in you come not from rational choice. Yep. They were indoctrinated in you from authority figures, from media, from parents, from education, from observations you made as an innocent little child. You decide how, how important you are. You decide whether um, people love you. You decide your capabilities. You decide your money threshold. You decide your role as a man or a woman. You decide what's masculine or feminine, how you're going to age, what your body is, your feelings about yourself. They're all installed beliefs. Now, the first thing about consciousness engineering is to recognize that these beliefs are not you. They are simply yeah. hardware. And just like hardware, you can swap out a good belief, a bad belief and swap in a good belief. And often when people transform their beliefs, when they have awakening moments, their life changes because your beliefs determine what you're going to experience in the world. So that's one part of it, right? But the second aspect of consciousness engineering is the apps or the software. So while upgrading beliefs is one way to grow, the second way to grow, to hack your mind, is to download new software. And software are your systems, your systems for living. Bulletproof coffee is a system. Certain diets are a system. Tabata exercise or minimum effective dose exercise is a system. You've, made, um, you've built an incredible business teaching people upgraded systems for living from how to eat to how to think to, 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 to um, how to increase your longevity. So really, if you want to grow as a human being, you want to get from human 1.0 to human 2.0, you've got to do two things. Recognize models of reality, Understand what are your models of reality, swap in good ones, swap in good ones, swap out bad ones. 
And you learn this through studying the greats, reading autobiographies, through modalities like hypnotherapy or meditation where you have awakening moments that shift your beliefs. And secondly, study, learn, and adopt new systems. So I'm constantly learning, studying. That's my bookshelf. It's filled. I have about a thousand books in my home filled with books. And all my books are nonfiction books that teach new systems, new systems for living, everything from eating to dieting. I'm constantly reinventing myself with these new systems. So back to your question, right? Once you understand this framework. Now, when you understand this framework, everything you absorb in the nonfiction world, in the personal growth world, you can absorb it faster because you're instantly spotting. Okay, that's a model. You can read a biography like, like A Life Decoded by J. Craig Venter and go, oh, wow. Okay, so that's how Craig Venter views the world. He's the guy who decoded the human genome. And then you can adopt that same model in your head and you can read books like The Bulletproof Diet and adopt systems directly and inject them into your life. So what I really teach people is to accelerate growth by turning themselves into an upgradable piece of hardware, beliefs and systems. Back to your question. I don't know how intuition works, but the fact is it doesn't matter. (laughs) Intuition could be complete bullshit. It doesn't matter. It's a belief. And the belief changes your view of the world. So maybe it is all luck, but... By believing that I have that luck, by believing that when I'm about to call an attorney, right, because there's something in my being that's guiding me on who to call, I am better on the call. In fact, science has proven this. In Sean Aker's book, The Happiness Advantage, he talks about a study with salespeople that shows that optimistic salespeople are 55% more effective than negative salespeople. So even if intuition is complete bullshit, by having a belief that I have intuition, that that my finger is guiding me towards the attorney to call, I make myself more optimistic. I create that 55% boost. See, it's all empirical. Your beliefs don't have to be true. You choose your beliefs and act in accordance with them, and they become true for you. The language in your book is is really clear and and precise about how to see these things and, and how to break through. And what I wish I would have known when I was 20 or heck when I was 12, uh, and certainly by the time I was 30, was what you just said about where where your beliefs, the beliefs that you think are you, where they come from. So I, I thought you did a really elegant job of explaining that. And in, in my own case, um, I figured this out when I, I first started really digging in on, on you know, why, why things were the way they were in my life. I'd, I made millions of dollars and I lost it all. And I had been in a really toxic relationship and just all kinds of stuff like that. And I sat down with a, a woman who ran the American Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association. She was the founder of it. And she asked me this weird question. And she said, tell me about your birth. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm an engineer from Silicon Valley. Like, why do you care? But I'm pretty sure there was like vaginas and, and hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, oh, and, and I had the cord wrapped around my neck, but it didn't cut off oxygen, so no harm done. And she goes, yeah, that's what I thought. And then she like puts up a PowerPoint slide, completely dissecting my personality, like a SWOT analysis for people listening who've been to business school. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And like this woman just like like opened me up like a taxidermy animal on a PowerPoint slide. And, and I'm like, that's incredible. And, and she ended up doing this thing called a birth regression with me. And she said, uh, without guiding that, that much, just sort of like, like feel what you felt when you were born. And and what I had done is is just they had like well, they mess with you when you're coming out if the, the cords around your neck and they use 
tools and all this. And I had got a program that had been running constantly. And it was after I, I was born, they put me in some little chamber. And when a baby is traumatized, you actually want to be on your mother. It's kind of like an instinctive thing. And they've shown this in monkeys and they've shown this in pretty much all warm blooded animals. And, uh, but I didn't get that. So the program that I had running was basically like, if I'm going to be alone, then I'll be alone. Right. So I'm like, like I, I will always be alone. And that was a core belief that happened before I could speak before I could think, before I even knew what the planet I was on was. Like literally, you come out of your mom and you're like, what the hell just happened? Like something tried to squish my head and like it's like the matrix. So to be able to know that and to know that was my programming, for me to be able to rewrite that program completely changed my life. But the program was entirely invisible to me. You have no idea it's running there because all of these go in. We talk about hardware and, and all that. These are like firmware. Like they, like they go in there below your operating system and they're invisible and you don't know about them. But when you find a technique like the ones in the code of the extraordinary mind, you really laid out very clearly how to tell if you've got these things going on. And and here's the deal. If you're more than seven years old and you're alive, you've got these going on. Like, like that's the human condition, right? So I just, I thought you did a great job pointing that out for me. I had to spend 10 days at a personal growth retreat, like doing regression work and strange breathing exercises uh, but it worked, and I, I just like kudos for explaining it so clearly in your book. Because if I hadn't come across that, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do now. Like, like that stuff matters a lot, and it's not taught in Silicon Valley. It's not taught at Warden. It's not taught at what was that little school you went to, University of Michigan? I'm just kidding. But <laughs> by the way, I went to California State University for my actual degree, so I'm totally giving you crap. But what uh, what's going on there is, is this isn't in our education system, and it's not taught to parents for the most part, but everyone listening to this has these programs running, and I think your book is worth reading because you have really approachable tools for just seeing that. I don't think that all the tools you need to get rid of them are are presented in the book. You talk about many different ways of doing it, but just to know it's there and to, to be able to see it and feel it and go, wait, maybe that's not me. That is a precious gift. And I just wish someone had explained that to me when I was a lot younger, because it would have avoided a lot of suffering and poor decisions. Right. Thank you. You There's a, and what you said is true. Most of our beliefs we take on below the age of nine. So there's a, one of the best books out there in my, in, in, in my, in my opinion, one of the best books out there in 2015 is Yuval Hariri's book, Sapiens. It's about the history of the human race. And so Yuval Hariri is a historian anthropologist, and he says something really interesting. He says that, that human beings, as we learned to walk erect, right, it became harder and harder for mothers to give birth. And so all human babies basically are born premature. So, so, um, so we are actually born before we are fully developed. Yes. And because of this, to quote Yuval Hariri, most animals, if you think about a kitten or a baby gazelle, most animals are like earthenware. When they are born, within a few months, they can hunt, they can walk, they can stand up. And like earthenware, any attempt to mold them or influence them is just like making a tiny scratch. But human animals, human beings are born like molten glass. And thus they can be molded, mm-hmm. they can be shaped like molten glass. They can be turned into whatever you want them to turn into. This is why you can raise a child to be, in the words of Yuval Hariri, Buddhist or Christian, socialist or capitalist, warmonger or peacemaker. 
all our beliefs can be indoctrinated in us before the age of seven. And it doesn't just come from the people around us. It comes from our own meaning-making machine. So within our minds, we have a meaning-making machine, a pattern recognition system that tries to make sense of the world. But because it still doesn't have all the data it needs, data is nothing more than maturity, we create false meanings. Like in your case, you created that meaning that you were meant to be alone. I created the meaning that because I grew up in a culture in Asia where I look different. I'm not Asian, Asian. I'm, I'm South Asian, Indian. I look different from everyone else. I went to school and I was a different color. And I had Caucasian features like a larger nose and hair on my arms and legs because I'm Northern Indian. And the boys made fun of me. I was called gorilla legs because I had hair on my legs. You know, um, I was called hook nose because my nose was bigger than most people of East Asian descent. So I grew up and created the meaning that I was ugly. And so my entire life until the age of 22, I'd never actually been with a girl or even been on a date because I grew up thinking I was ugly. And that's how powerful these meaning-making machines can be on our lives. And when you learn to swap this out and when you learn that your beliefs are not you, instant shifts happen. And so that's, that's really what I'm trying to do with this book. I mean, it's, it's one of many things, but that's why this is so important. Now, just as a segue, right? One of the key things that excites me most is how this influences parents. You've got kids, I've got kids. And one of the people I interview in the book alongside you and Elon Musk and Richard Branson is a parenting psychologist called Shelley Lefko. And Shelley's theories are really interesting. One of the things she says is that your greatest job as a parent is to let your kids be who they want to be. But what you've got to constantly ask yourself in every interaction with your child is, what meaning are they going to take away from this? So you may have a kid, right, who's eating food and he drops his spoon and you go, Billy, don't do that. And a few minutes later, Billy drops his spoon and you're like, Billy, I told you not to do that. Go sit in the corner. Now, you think that's correct and that's the traditional North American parenting style, but it's harmful. It's dangerous because you've got to ask yourself, what meaning is Billy taking away from this? Perhaps Billy dropped his first spoon by accident and he was surprised that his mom yelled at him. So he wanted to test his mom's love for him by dropping his fork. He's just an innocent child. He's just experimenting. The mom now gets angry and sends him to a corner. Now in his head, his meaning-making machine goes in overdrive. Mama doesn't trust me. I'm not important. What I say doesn't matter. I'm clumsy. And all of these meanings stack on each other. He grows up with meanings such as, I'm not important. Therefore, I'm not lovable. Therefore, I'm not good enough. Therefore, I'm not as good as other kids. And they build up and they build up and they build up. And all of us go into adulthood with these holes within ourselves, these things which we're waiting for other people to fill in for us. Love, importance, attention. We start craving them because as children, they were, these holes were put into us through innocent parenting mistakes and our own dysfunctional and limited meaning-making machine. You know, that's what excites me, being able to help the world create kids who are whole, who are confident, who don't feel like they have these holes to fill. It's one of those things, uh, our, our kids are, are pretty similar ages, and uh, the advice in the book there is really important. If people don't understand that that programming happens and that it's invisible to you, you, you then have a set of assumptions about how to parent. And if you accept what I would call a fact, you'd say accept the theory uh, that 
stuff gets put in before you're seven and you, it's not visible to you. You will not be able to see this unless you're in an altered state, you know, in some form of therapy or deep meditation or neurofeedback or whatever. Um, it, if you don't use some technology to help you see that, it will never be visible. It'll just be a part of you. Uh, so if that theory is right, or you think it even might be right, it radically changes how you treat kids. And if that theory is completely wrong and it can't be right and you know, you, you're an island and, and everything in there is you, well... Number one, you're fucked. <laughs> okay, I just have to say that. Like, you will not be happy to the level you're capable of because you haven't separated out your programming from from you. And the the language to help someone see that is really hard because it's one of the scariest things you can you can show someone. Like, oh, the things you thought were you, actually, some of them are, some of them aren't. You know, I hope you right. don't feel too unsettled by that. Like, like it. This is big personal growth, scary stuff. Yeah. And I love what you just said, the language, because that's one of the things I talk about in my book, yeah. what language teaches us to see, we can see, right? So, so there are studies that show, for example, because Russians have different colors for blue, Russians are able to see different shades of blue and differentiate amongst them better than most Americans. What language can delineate, we can see. Language is, our, is one of our most effective pattern recognition systems. And so what I do in the what I do in the book is I give people new words. The book coins some twenty new words in the English language. The most popular of which is the word "brule" or "bullshit rule." So, by teaching you words such as "brule," we give you the ability to question your understandings of the world. Question what it is that you're doing. Is is your idea that you need to check in at work at nine and check out at five a brule? Is your idea that you need to get married and have 2.5 kids a brule, a bullshit rule? Are you just following the societal expectations that were installed on you? So language is a really important thing. And thank you for bringing that up. What I try to do in the book is give people new language terms, new words to help them unlock new beliefs and new systems. Words such as unfuckwithable, which is a state of being where nothing can touch you. Words such as bending reality, which is putting you in a state where it almost seems as if the universe bends in your favor. Words such as rule or bullshit rule. Well, I, uh, I, I think that, that the book does an admirable job of doing that. And you also touch on a bunch of different areas, some that I think listeners would really appreciate. You talk about common misconceptions about money and productivity. Um, what's your take on that from the book? Well, so, so it seems at this point that the book covers a lot of things, right? But everything really fits into 10, 10 laws. It's a great so framework, what, yeah. Uh, yeah. What we've been talking about thus far is really the start. When you start to see how you live in what is called a culturescape, and the culturescape is that tangled web of human beliefs, habits, um, ideas, philosophies, religions that govern how you live life. The culturescape installs you with beliefs. Part two of the book is the model of consciousness engineering that teaches you how to create your own world within the culturescape, how to go from human 1.0 to human 2.0. But once you do that, you start developing a longing inside you. And that longing is, holy shit, I am so much more powerful than I think I am. I want to do more. You start seeing opportunities, seeing things that other people miss because they are stuck in the safe net, safety net of the culturescape. So when that happens, what happens is that you start thinking like some of the world's most extraordinary people. You start becoming and you, you automatically become what they call an entrepreneur or creative or maverick because you see patterns that other people fail to see. So then we go on to part three of the book. And that's where 
I talk about what to do when you start getting this longing. How do you make sure that you are in a career or in a business or in a role that is truly right for you? And here we question some of the normal standards of goal setting. So you spoke, you asked me about happiness and productivity. Well, what I talk about in part three of the book is an idea of a state of living that I call bending reality that I observe in many of the most astonishing people out there from you who are featured and you're featured prominently in the book to Richard Branson, to Ariana Huffington, to Peter Diamandis. And the state is basically this. It's a situation where, yes, you have big visions pulling you forward. So think of this as your vision, right? You have these visions pulling you forward, but your happiness is not tied to these visions. You're happy in the now. So you have vision and you have happiness. And most people mix up the two. They are like, I will be happy when I hit my vision, when I get that new job, when I get that promotion, when she says yes, that she's going to move into the apartment with me, when I get laid. But true, truly extraordinary people actually have it in a different way. They are happy before they attain their vision. And science is showing that happiness is fuel. It basically fuels you and gets you to your vision faster that only a tiny percentage of entrepreneurs are actually here. So most entrepreneurs are stressed out. They are facing anxiety. I would say 95% of entrepreneurs are miserable yes. because they have not decoupled their happiness from their vision. They are waiting for destination. But when you realize that happiness is the journey, everything changes. So the book talks about how to put yourself in a state. Firstly, it talks about how to set the right vision so you don't end up going in the wrong direction and ending up in a job or career that just that just kills your soul, which so many people end up in. And then it talks about a process called discipline. And there's another new word. <laughs> discipline is the discipline of bliss. It talks about a daily methodology to hack your happiness levels and turn happiness into rocket fuel to get you to your vision. So, happy, so the misconception is, I will be happy when, wrong. Rather, I will be happy because happiness will be rocket fuel to get me to my vision. That is so profound. And one of the reasons I wish I'd had this book a long time ago is that when I was 16, I did the think and grow rich thing. And I wrote down my goal on a mirror. And my goal is I was going to make a million dollars by the time I was 23. And the unstated goal there, some of you would have called out full frontal in the book, is like, oh, you'll be happy when you have a million dollars, will you? And I would have been like, of course, because then I can do whatever I want, right? Which is bad logic. I didn't say I was going to keep it, but here's the, the thing that, that I'm still marveling at. Okay, If you're listening to this and you have the opportunity to take $6 million off the table and you don't have any money, take your money, right? $6 million is more money than you, than you know what to do with, like, unless you're just like, I have to have my own jet and, and like something like that. But you can live for the rest of your life on $6 million comfortably and happily, right? without doing anything, or you can do whatever you want, but, but like you're, you're basically done. And instead of taking that off the table, what I told myself was, I'll be happy when I have $10 million, which is why I left it all on the table and why I lost all of my money, right? So I went from upset for life to a year and a half later, I'm basically gonna be working for the next 20 years because of that bad programming, the stuff that you describe in the Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And that's why I think this is a really valuable book, because like, man, if somebody just called me out on yeah. that, 
And, and, and there's a way around that. See, there, there, there's a way around that. And that is recognizing the difference between a means goal and an end goal. And this is where Western goal setting have it, has it wrong. So I walk into these classes. I've, I spoke recently at my old alma mater, the University of Michigan. And I, and, I, and I walked into this class where they were teaching these kids this stupid, stupid, stupid <laughs> system called smart goal setting. S-M-A-R-T. Oh, yeah. It's one of Specific, measurable, blah, attainable, redundant, Absolute and something. Stupid. Right. So I invented a new goal setting system called the three most important questions, right? And we don't have to go into it, but the key differentiator is this. When you, there's a difference between end goals and means goals. Most people aim for, aim for means goals when what they are really hoping to get are end goals. So for example, if you are looking to get a college degree, get a job, get married, get a million dollars in your bank account, those are really means goals. Yeah. Those goals don't really speak to your happiness. Because if you really looked further, you're looking to get a college degree so that you can do something else. You're looking to get a million dollars so that you can do something else. Well, ask yourself, what is that so that? What is that so? And that guides you to the end goal. And the end goals are always things such as, I want to travel the world. I want to wake up every day next to the love of my life. I want to experience raising a two-year-old. I want to build a company for the sake of learning how to function as a team and develop my leadership skills and have that thrill of building something unique. See, end goals are typically feeling-oriented. Now, the thing is, when you get rid of the means goals and you toss away all that crap that the culture scape, another new word I coined, tells you that you need to do to be safe from the college degree to the GPA to the law degree to um, getting accepted at that, at, at that firm, you go straight to the end goals. And that's when you truly have human happiness. And all end goals fall into three different buckets. It's all about experiences. What are the amazing human experiences that you want to have in the world? The second bucket is growth. How do you want to grow? All of us are aiming for the tip of Maslow's pyramid, which is self-actualization. Growth gives us great fulfillment. No matter where you are, you are happy when you're growing, when you're learning something new. And the third one is contribution. How can you leave a mark on the world? So what I teach people is to discard smart goal setting, discard everything that keeps you enmeshed in the bullshit of the culture scape, and instead go within, speak to yourself, and understand what are those things that really make you happy and fulfilled. And they are always experiences, growth, and contribution. Now, when you do that, you're no longer aiming for the million dollars, but it'll likely come to you. Because to get that dream house, to meet that dream woman, to travel around the world, to have that freedom, to have that creative output, you're going to have to be rich and successful anyway. But you get there without falling into the trap that so many millionaires fall into, where they have the money in the bank, but they hate their lives. They have their careers. They have their businesses. But their relationships with their kids or their spouses suck. Or their health is going down the drain. Or they make money and they repeatedly lose it. It's about the end goals and not the means goals. That, that might be one of the most powerful chapters in, in the book. And I, I love the way you just crap all over the, the smart goals and, and these specific measurable. It, it is that these are stair step, like treadmill goals, like, like what's next, what's next, what's next. And I haven't seen that written anywhere else, uh, the, the, the way you've described that. And is, is that sort of like your own take on this? It, it, did this evolve yeah, from, I, from another body of work? I, no, it came because in 20, 2009, 2010, I had two businesses. One business got funded. Uh, we had investors. We got, fun, we, we got funded by Intel. Um, Mind Valley was going strong, but I was miserable. 
I was depressed. I had scratched off everything on my list. I had media attention. I, I, I had money. I had businesses. I had an office that won best looking office in the city. Um, I had smart people around me, but I was depressed and I hated my life and I felt like a failure. And I was putting on this false mask every time I walked into the office and I realized, holy fuck vision, what is it that you really wanted? You attained all your goals 10 years in advance. And I realized that what I really wanted was, was completely different. I wanted freedom. I wanted the ability to be able to travel around the world. I was lonely. I wanted close friendships. I wanted to, to meet insightful, interesting people. I wanted to be able to take my son with me. He was three or four years old back then to all these beautiful things, locations and experiences and seminars where I could learn and take him with me. I wanted travel and adventure. I wanted to, to, you know, to, to, to be in paradise locations. And when I refactored my goal list, something interesting happened. Firstly, I decided to completely give up one of my companies called Turkey. That company was making me miserable. I sold all my shares, took a loss and escaped. As soon as I escaped, I became so happy. And secondly, I decided to start my own festival. And that became Awesomeness Fest. It's now called A-Fest. And when I started my own festival, it almost came to me as an insight. I, I woke up one day and I'm like, dude, I got to do this. It makes absolutely no business sense, but I got to do this. And today, A-Fest has been one of my biggest legacies on the planet. Every year, thousands of people apply to come and join me in a paradise location with amazing teachers. You're going to be speaking at a biohacking event. It's the, the most epic parties you can imagine. And A-Fest has no it, it, the business model makes no sense, but it's one of the singularly most successful things I do. We raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. 80% of my friends in the world today are in A-Fest. I get to travel with my kids to exotic locations, connect with amazing people like you. But it wasn't something. It was something that just emerged out of my brain when I created a list of end goals. And somehow my subconscious created a path for me to get there that never existed in the world before. I mean, how many people go out there and start a festival, right? And that was when I realized that there's a new way we need to be thinking about life, that our subconscious minds are far more powerful at problem solving than we ever imagined. So screw the culture scape. Stop believing that you have to take the tried and true path. Figure out what really drives you. Write it down. You may not immediately see the steps, but as long as you are happy and joyful and operating in that state of positive expectancy, you start moving towards that vision. You quote the book, Think and Grow Rich. One of the greatest things in that book is the idea of baby steps. Napoleon Hill says, you don't have to know how you're going to get to that end vision, but take a step, take any baby step. And, and what happens is with every baby step, you autocorrect and you autocorrect and you autocorrect. And eventually you hit that end vision. When I came up with this insight to start a festival, really all I did was I was speaking on stage at an event in DC. I got a standing ovation and I'm like, Guys, you know, I'm so grateful. Uh, if you loved me for an hour, I'm thinking about doing this thing where I'm going to invite maybe 200 people to come and join me in a paradise location in Costa Rica. And we'll spend three days together just learning. And it was spontaneous, but it was a baby step. And 30 people in the audience paid $2,000 to buy a ticket. I had 60 grand in seed funding in one hour. And I used that to launch what is now A-Fest. So my subconscious guided me but within two years, every single thing I put down on my three most important questions list came true. That's uh, some powerful observations there. And I would invite people listening uh, to, to pay attention to that because 
I, I find as an engineer, as a computer scientist guy, I, I think I have truth tables built into uh, you know the the way I think. And people who write code or do logic math understand you know truth operators, and we tend to be hyper logical beings. Along with that comes uh, usually like a, a relatively negative outlook on on life, like, like like profound skepticism and just a really negative mindset. How do you work with people who have that kind of like a, a just rigorous mindset who are just unwilling to accept? Oh yeah, there might be such a thing as intuition. Like what's your what's your approach well, to that? Well, you don't even have to because I don't try to convince anyone of intuition. I mean, I spend a lot of time with science. I, I, I'm a member of the XPRIZE uh, Innovation Board. Mm-hmm. So I just got back, for example, from San Francisco, where I was at the UCSF, um, um, the, at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, where I got to actually talk to some of the world's greatest neuroscientists. I got to hold human brain. I, I missed that and, trip. I was going to go on it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was amazing. And one of the things, you know, about the brain is this thing called the reticular activation yeah. system. Our brains are, are incredibly sophisticated pattern recognition machines, right? They recognize patterns. I mean, if you look, it's only now that narrow artificial intelligence is being developed where you can teach a computer to recognize patterns. So um, I, I, I know the scientists who wrote the code uh, where you can upload a picture onto Google's algorithm and it tells you this picture has teenagers playing frisbee in a park. But it took years to get there. And even then, those pictures can, that, that algorithms can be confused. But my one-year-old daughter can pick up my face in a crowd of 100 people from the back. She, she knows what the back of my head looks like. That's pattern recognition. So think about what you're doing to your brain when you write down the things that you want your life to evolve into. Your brain automatically starts seeking out the patents. It's the same phenomenon where if you decide you want to buy a white Tesla Model S, you start noticing more white Tesla Model S's on the road, right? That's the brain's reticular activation system. So again, we can't explain how it works, but my theory is don't believe in intuition. That's fine. Call it hogwash. But you're doing something to your brain's patent recognition system that steers you towards your goal. But you got to have the right goals. Now, in, in the book, you also write about six-phase meditation, which, which that was a, a really condensed, very elegant way of, of approaching meditation. And I don't know if we've got time on, on the show today to go into, into it in enough detail to offer value for people. So I, I'm just going to say, instead of asking you to describe that now, I'm going to ask people listening go out and get a copy of The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Uh, I'm giving it my, my full-on recommendation. Like This is a, a unique and noteworthy book, and the meditation stuff that's in there is, uh, is, is really meaningful. And I, I think you have a URL and as well that I'm sure you'd be happy to give yeah. people. And, uh, you can get it from thecodexmind.com. Thecodexmind.com. Or just go to Amazon and type in Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Just one thing about the book, which is really interesting. This is the most technologically, perhaps the most technologically hooked up books in human history. Because when I wrote this book, just like the book encourages you to question everything, I wanted to question the idea of the book. So we're releasing a couple of interesting things uh, soon. But no, but this is one of the world's first book that actually connects to um, amazing software that allows the readers to come together and to connect with me, that integrates with artificial intelligence that integrates with apps that change human behavior, 
we have a team of 30 developers and designers and UX experts working on the technology that plugs into this book. And one of the reasons is because I'm looking to launch a new tech company that takes regular books and turns them into um, whole new experiences. So this is the first book that's actually going on this new te technological platform. So, you know, um, it's a really, really, really interesting experiment in how human beings learn and transform. Well, it sounds like your whole life has been an interesting experiment in how humans learn and transform. And there's a question that you know I'm, you know, there's, there's a question you know I'm going to ask you, and, and it's, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, Vision, I want to kick more ass at life, I want to be better at everything, what are the three most important things I need to know? What would you say? Sure. So the first thing, the first thing that you, that, that you gotta, that you gotta know. So again, actually, if I had, if I had a minute to give them advice, I'd say, look, everything I've learned in the last 10 years, building up some of the world's best personal growth companies is in this one book, the code of the extraordinary mind. I was going to write four books. I condensed them into one book because I figured out most people like you are busy. It's very, dense. so it's, yeah. But if you want, if you want three things, the first thing is understand the difference between an end goal and a means goal right? And go straight for the end goal. You can get on Google and Google three most important questions and they are countless. Uh, they're one or two really key videos of me explaining the concept very well. Okay. So first know the difference between your end goals and your means goals. Do the exercise, figure out your end goals. Secondly, understand the concept of consciousness engineering because it teaches you how to hack your growth so that you grow faster. Because once you have these end goals, you need to grow into the man or woman who can attain them effortlessly. And consciousness engineering is that mechanism for growth. And the third thing, the third thing is know your quest. This is the final law in chapter 10 of the book. And your quest is simply that mark, that dent that you're going to put in the universe. Know what it is that you want to shift in the world. Don't ask yourself, who do I want to be? Or what business do I want to have? Or how much million dollars do I want to have? Ask yourself, what am I going to be remembered for when I die? Okay, now it's, it's, I'm simplifying the concept, of course, but when you get that, when you get that what you want to do is move the world towards a more sustainable future or transform education or change uh, the way prenatal care works, you get rocket fuel and everything else in your life starts lining up. Now, I, normally I say uh, thank you after this list of three, but I've got to ask your opinion on that last one. Right. One of the many different meditation groups I've studied with over my life, I did a bunch of quantified analysis of meditation. And their belief, I won't call out who they are, is that somewhere around 85% of people have no mission. Like they have no reason for being here. You clearly have a mission and you know it. My question for you is, do you believe that everyone is here with a mission or only some people? I don't believe that. I don't believe that everyone is put here and there's a metaphysical soul story that says you are here on planet Earth to do X. No, I believe a mission is something we find. I believe that the problem with the way we are training kids today is that we ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. Well, I can tell you a lot of those jobs are going to disappear yeah. in the next 15 years with the rise of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and, and machines. I've seen some of the developments. Instead, ask your kids, ask yourself, what mark do I want to leave on the planet? And th that's a huge differentiator because when you ask that question, you open yourself up to find numerous ways to, 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 to accomplish that. 
You could say, for example, not I want to be a businessman or I want to be an entrepreneur, but like I know, let's take my son, for example. He wants to, to help make the oceans cleaner. Well, that's amazing because now so many different business opportunities, so many parts open up to him. Everything we study at school now has meaning because he has to learn about, you know, the chemical composition of plastic. He has to learn about fishes and what they eat and how they live. He has to learn about coral reefs and water temperature, which leads to global warming, which leads to him learning about the impact of of fossil fuels and the impact of electric cars. From that one tiny mission, a seven-year-old boy has his entire world open up to him. The whole drudgery of school disappears. Everything he's learning now is because he's going to grow up to make an impact by cleaning up the oceans. So it works for kids, but it also works for adults. Because when you understand what your quest is, and I use the word quest, you now have a direction on what company to join, what business to start, what type of fundraising to do, what books to read. It changes your perspective completely, and it makes life so much more meaningful. And you know... One of the things that impacts us most in terms of our happiness levels is meaning. Study after study after study. All empirical studies show that meaning makes a profound impact. People, for example, one study of men who retire after 80 showed that the majority of reason they stayed at work was because of meaning. Meaning was number one. Happiness was number two. Studies on, on employee engagement show that when employees feel that their work is meaningful, they are more engaged in their work. Study after study after study shows that. And then, of course, there's also the philosophies of great men like the Dalai Lama. He said, you want to be happy? Learn to make others happy. And that's what you do when you're living a life of meaning. You're here to make a contribution to the human race. And imagine what the world would look like if all of us were trained to function like that. It would definitely be a better place. I think we could call it an upgraded place. Yeah. So, so my book, my book makes a plea. It says, stop raising our kids. Stop joining bullshit companies like Coca-Cola or Goldman Sachs. These people are not really contributing to the world. They're fucking it up for the next generation. Instead, join companies like Bulletproof, like Tesla, join NASA, take work, Take tasks that actually make the world better for the next generation. With every decision we make, we can create businesses or join companies which are humanity plus, which means pushing humanity forward, or humanity minus, which means holding us back. And you want to make decisions that move us forward. Very well said. And uh, I think I've probably said this 15 times on the interview, but... If you're listening to this, we're nearing 300 episodes of Bulletproof Radio, and I read a lot of books. And, and there are a lot of books that are hastily cranked out, a lot of books that are, are kind of well-marketed but not that well put together. This is an extraordinarily well-put-together book that, that Vision did. It, it's got a framework for understanding it. If you like uh, the, the Bulletproof Roadmap, where it's all these ideas consolidated into a framework that you can digest and absorb and use, there's a similar thought process. It's actually a programmer's thought process behind uh, putting together the code of the extraordinary mind. So it's worth reading because it's got actionable tools you can use without having to like over-digest and, de- and un- uh, just unpack them. Like They're just right there. So the code of the extraordinary mind, I give it my highest recommendation. It is, uh, it is a meaningful book, and everyone who listens to Bulletproof Radio, there's at least one thing and probably 10 things it'll do 
that'll upgrade the way you perform. So I, I give it my my full unabashed support, the code of the extraordinary mind. Get it on Amazon, anywhere else you can find it. And Vision, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you. Likewise, my friend. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, you know what to do. Go buy Vision's book. And while you're at it, you could do something else. Head on over to Bulletproof.com and subscribe to make sure that you get Brain Octane and Bulletproof upgraded coffee beans shipped to you on a regular basis. Every day you go without Brain Octane is a day where you're probably not operating at your optimal level. You can, you can just feel better. You can have more energy. And when you have more energy, you can take it and directly apply it to personal growth. You want to do what's in the code of the extraordinary mind? Give yourself more energy in your mitochondria. Get your nutrition dialed in, get your food dialed in, and all of the personal growth stuff, all of that 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 stuff that it takes to challenge conventional ideas, to give up your your B rules or brules, those are Vision's bullshit rules. It takes energy, and you get that energy right. For me, it's completely changed my ability to change myself. I think it'll do the same for you. So, code of the extraordinary mind. Go get it. Have an awesome day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.